0: Glad tidings, the Athletic podcast, all about Everton Football Club. I'm Greg O'Keefe, and as usual, I'm joined by my colleague and fellow Everton writer for the Athletic, Paddy Boyland. How are things in wet and rainy Liverpool, Paddy?
1: <laughs> that that's exactly the way I was going to describe it. It's been kind of wall to wall rain here, including the odd thunderstorm, the odd bit of lightning for two or three days now. So, <laughs> yeah. um, and it's made the kind of the evening run that I like to do, particularly interesting. So it's kind of on days like this when you feel for the players a bit, when they're kind of running around and the ball swirling. Reminds you a little bit of that. Remember that mad game against Bolton uh, at Goodison yeah. where Tim Howard scored <laughs> yes. um, from a clearance? He was just clearing the ball field and the wind took it over. I think it was Adam Bogdan in, uh, nice. in the Bolton goal. But neither side could play any football. And occasionally it gets like that at Goodison. Um, obviously, and um, yeah, it reminded me a little bit of that. I've got got a little bit of sympathy. Um, I'm
0: sure it's much the same where you are at the moment as well. Mm, It certainly is. Well, maybe we should be pinning our hopes on uh, Jordan Pickford repeating (laughs) Tim Howard's (laughs) trick on Sunday. Obviously, on Sunday, we're going to be speaking a lot about that in this week's episode. We'll look ahead to the Merseyside derby. Which, thanks to Mikel Arteta's gunners, now means that Liverpool thankfully cannot win the title at Goodison. It would have been an unpalatable, shall we say, uh, in our PG 13 parlance. It would have been absolutely <laughs> horrific to see that. Uh, we'll also discuss a couple of the pieces that we've written on the site, and we'll talk sort of the bit on tactics and, and potential lineups. But before we get into all that, let me remind you that you can sign up to the Athletic and receive a 40% discount on a year-long subscription just in time for Everton's return to action. With that, you'll of course be able to enjoy the best football writing anywhere, ad-free podcasts, and all that for less than £3 a month. Um, And, you know, I know it's sort of, you say ad-free, does does it really count? It makes a big difference when I'm reading stuff and listening to stuff, to just know you're not going to get bombarded constantly with ads and uh, when you're not you know you're reading something pop-ups aren't continually crippling your laptop by every two minutes auto-playing video and you know so from my point of view i'd pay that alone but then again i would say it wouldn't i but let's you know you, you've hinted at it earlier it's there's so many swirling conflicting feelings emotions around this game but there is initially a little bit of relief just after the the city arsenal game last night isn't there
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh I think if you asked Liverpool fans for two places they'd like to win the Premier League title, or maybe let's go with three, it would be Anfield, Old Trafford and Goodison, obviously yeah. because of their rivalries with um with Everton and Manchester United. Um so to remove that, um that they are still obviously in line to win the title. Let's not forget, but to remove the, the prospect of the the kind of the worst case scenario, which was them celebrating quite weirdly in what we believe would have been a porter cabin in the park in, in the park end car park <laughs> i think that um <laughs> i mean it would have been bizarre it would have been bizarre with the may for interest in photography and on everything else but um i think we'd have heard about that one we still hear about istanbul obviously to this day so can you imagine how long we'd have heard about winning their first title in aeons yep. um and it being on <laughs> on everton soil so to speak so yeah yeah to be honest it I think there was, from quite early on in that game on Thursday night between, between City and Arsenal, there was, a, there was an obvious gulf in quality. I've I've kind of struggled in the Bundesliga, where I'm less invested in narrative, to pay attention. I do it a little bit with John Joe Kenny, just to see how he's getting on. Uh, and I do it sometimes when I watch games, sides like Leverkusen, Mönchengladbach, who have interesting players. But on the whole, I've, I've I've struggled to retain concentration. I think with this mm. one, because there was such a strong narrative and it was about kind of how this would impact on Everton, I was pretty glued to it. Um, and, and Manchester City obviously played very well, even if the obvious thing is that both sides were, I, I thought, were pretty rusty, as to be expected. So, yeah, it removes that, that worst-case scenario. Still, obviously, a very, very difficult game ahead of Everton. But maybe, I don't know, with with that kind of with the worst-case scenario out of the equation, maybe fans can start to look forward a little bit more than they would have done otherwise to, to, to that derby, to seeing Richarlison, calvert Lewin back, all the other Everton players, and, and, and hopefully kind of pushing on and, and, and starting to pick up results again once the season resumes.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. It, it does just remove one psychological barrier, doesn't it? Um, which kind of would weigh on us in advance. So taking that out the equation... It's still obviously one of the, the two games of season that you absolutely look for when the fixtures come out and that you want to win no matter what. It's debatable whether it's a help or a hindrance. You and I were talking about this earlier, weren't we going straight from 100 days of no football to straight into the intensity of the Merseyside Derby, regardless of the lack of fans. Um, not that you can disregard that because it's going to have such, I feel it's going to have such a part to, to play in, in what this derby feels and looks like do you think it'll be a normal tempo do you think the team will just kind of fly into it as they would and then hit a wall and drop off or do you think both coaches will be a bit savvier than that it's it's going to be so interesting isn't it
1: it will be really interesting and we've not really got precedent to go off here which yeah. is what I find yeah. um, particularly intriguing about it as a as a, as a situation a I expect that, obviously, players on both sides will know the magnitude of the game. They'll be well-versed in the history now of the Merseyside derby. They'll have been aware of the situation with regards to Liverpool winning the league. And they will know that there are bottom lines that they need to hit, both with their managers and people at the club and teammates, but also the fans. And I think the dynamic here that's particularly interesting is that there are no fans and therefore there's no kind of there's no 12th man for everton there's nobody to push everton on to make things difficult and uncomfortable for liverpool so i don't know about you but i'm i'm kind of expecting the players to be to, to be trying to emulate the intensity but at various points kind of seeing ebbs and flows mm. and seeing maybe kind of across the board maybe like a 75% intensity to what we'd usually expect Behind-closed-doors games don't present much of a home advantage, as we've touched on on the site this week. We've seen more, significantly more wins in the Bundesliga since football resumed in this vein, um, compared, to, compared to usual, I should add. And I think the other thing is that because it's a leveller, what makes the difference yeah. is either if a side can push themselves further than the opposition, i.e., do the intensity, high-intensity stuff better if they've made those marginal gains during lockdown, where players come back fit and firing, and are, and are able to kind of to, yeah. to make the difference. But I think, I think the other thing for me is it, it, it more games will now come out down to the individual quality of those two sides. I mean, let's use an, another example. Do you fear going to say Sheffield United and Bramall Lane in the same same way? Now that they don't have their pretty vocal home support, there, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, and I think Sheffield United are one of those sides that thrive off the home crowd and that look to play with such high intensity that they might not be able to match. Mm. Everton, Everton do that at home, and Everton obviously perform better at home than they do away by by quite some some margin. But you would say the same about Liverpool too, with regards to high intensity, and this is what makes it. I, th- I think this is what makes it so difficult to predict um the the thing for me is just going to be who gets out of the gets out of the traps first who can maintain top levels or something akin to top levels for uh, 90 minutes or as much yeah. of the 90 minutes as possible and out of the players that have come back there will be differences in terms of fitness and in terms of match fitness sharpness between all players on the pitch can liverpool get somebody like a sadio mane fit and firing quickly. Can Everton get Richarlison or Calvert-Lewin to do the same? I have to say, <laughs> I've seen I've seen a few quotes from David Unsworth about this and I've I've seen it with my own eyes as well. Dominic Calvert-Lewin's come back and looks to be in fantastic shape. Not only was he kind of in the training game that we saw really kind of putting himself about, not only did he look lean and kind of and, and sharp, but he was he was attempting he was tempting shots from all angles. He was scoring goals, all that kind of stuff. And I think Unsworth touched on it in a, another interview he did last week. He was just saying he he, he walked past Dominic and had a double take. So how's, yeah. how's he come back like this? And may, maybe some of these players will will have almost improved fitness levels as a result of this. They won't have been kind of carrying the knocks and and injuries that they they would have done otherwise if they've been playing football, but they might just not have that sharpness in terms of the execution. So um, it's it's a cliche, but it's whoever, whoever's kind of first to, to get out of the traps and whoever's yeah. closest to the original version of themselves, really.
0: I think that first... I fear for us, in a way, if we if we concede first. Um, I think our what we've got to look to do is try and c- control... Or well, certainly to limit Liverpool, you know, if, if we can force them into the channels and, you know, if there is a chance to kind of prevent the fluidity from the midfield and the front three by, you know, what you would think is a, a lower block and just try and deal with them, cross, force them out wide and try and deal with that. Not saying that's easy with obviously the fullbacks and what they've got there, but it's better than letting them come through the middle, which obviously at Stamford Bridge with a team that plays similar four three three was just disastrous for us um mm. before lockdown last game there. So to that to that end, what do you think Ancelotti should do uh in terms of selection? Obviously his hands are tied a little bit with injuries. No uh, God, where do I start? No Mina <laughs> No Schneidlin, no Walcott, obviously no Gabamon. Um, Delph is a doubt. Delph is a doubt. Could play, I think he's hinted at, but you know, his injury record, debatable. So even though we've got in theory a lot of central midfielders, it kind of boils down to you know, sort of with if you consider Sigurdsson one, then you've you've got Gomez, hopefully wrapped in cotton wool, Tom Davies, and then a couple of lads from the under twenty three, really and Benny Beningame and Dennis Adenier and and if he's going to play four four two, what 2 what do you think he should do?
1: I think anybody that's listened to the podcast in the last few weeks or seen any of the writings since that Chelsea game will know that I felt at Stamford Bridge that Everton were kind of suffered from tactical issues against Chelsea. Chelsea had the extra man in the centre midfield, dominated possession just played through Everton far too easily through the lines and then had the wingers kind of coming inside and doing those diagonal runs behind full yeah. backs that weren't able to cover. And it just, it, it caused chaos. Everton were comfortably second best in the game that I did not expect them to be comfortably second best in. And that, I think, sounded the warning sign for me ahead of this Merseyside derby because, as we've spoken about before, Liverpool... They don't play in exactly the same way as Chelsea, far from it. But there's a 4-3-3 there, they're pretty fluid. Roberto Firmino makes the in-to-out kind of runs and then the wingers make the out-to-in runs, exploiting that space. You've got to be really intelligent with tracking your runners and having the the speed and mobility to react in those transitions. Based on what I saw from Everton at Stamford Bridge, I'm not massively confident that they're able to do that every time. They, they take to the field. So what I would say is that I wouldn't expect the same again. I don't think we can get away with the same again. If you're playing a 4-4-2, four, four, then I think you're requiring a lot from your two central midfielders against Liverpool. Mm. So personally, I would, I would be slightly more cautious in the middle of the park um, and either look to uh, get an extra man in there or I would drop one of the forwards in occasionally probably Richarlison, to just kind of effectively look to sit on their deepest line midfielder, yeah. cut off the supply line and, and and do things that way. The interesting thing about Liverpool, and, and everybody will know this, so it's, this is nothing new, the interesting thing about Liverpool is, I think the reason they've become so successful recently is because it, in the past, sides have known that if they sit deep and deprive Mane, Salah of space, Liverpool didn't really have the creative threat in midfield to pass their way through them and arguably they still don't really what they've done over the last few years obviously with the emergence of alexander arnold and, and andy robertson is they have found fullbacks that effectively are as creative as any central midfielder you'll find yeah. find save for de bruyne so it, it's it's difficult it's difficult to find a system obviously that that the, the top of the league they they've been the best team in the country this season the only saving grace is that Ancelotti will have had ages to pour over that footage at Stamford Bridge. He will know exactly what Liverpool are about. And as as we were saying over the phones to each other earlier, before we started recording, they've effectively had Liverpool in the in the mirror, in the rear rearview rear mirror for three months now. Mm. Um, so that means that you would expect something slightly different. You would expect the players to be a little bit more aware of where they went wrong against Chelsea. Gomez Gomez and Davis seems too samey to me as a partnership and they might be thrust into that. And I think Gomez and Sigurdsson seems too samey. If Fabian Delph is fit, he's not always been fit this season, obviously, and he's not always played as well as we would have hoped. Yes. But if Fabian Delph is fit, in the absence of Morgan, Morgan Schneider and Kabamin, I think they need a little bit more defensive solidity in there. And then I believe that in the absence of Walcott, you're either likely to see, and this is not me choosing, but this is what I think is likely to happen, if if Ancelotti does stick with four four two, you probably see somebody like Jabril Sadibi or one of the, the lads that usually plays on the left, i.e. Iwobi or Bernard play there. And maybe they tuck in and make it a much narrower four. Yeah. So you end up with a situation. Let us just say for example, um, and this is just a, a an educated guess, you have maybe Sigurdsson slightly from the left, Bernardo Iwobi slightly from the right, tucking in, uh, shuttling across to try and stop crosses um, when Liverpool have the ball. And then you have two of Davis, Gomez, Delph if he's fit, although he's a doubt, obviously, trying to cover ground there. Um, or you go with a diamond, which we played at times against Chelsea. It's, it's tough. It's, it's really, really tough. And obviously... We're in a situation where we've not got a full complement of players to choose from anyway, so um, maybe I sound a little bit pessimistic here. (laughs) I don't mean to be. I don't mean to be. It's striking the balance between pessimism and realism, isn't it? Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletic subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic.
0: We haven't won this fixture in any capacity since 2010. So I think pessimism is an understandable approach to it. Yeah, And maybe not so if... You're going into it on all cylinders, flying, and you know you know you can hurt Liverpool in various ways, and you know you can you've got what it takes to deal with them. But I think let's be realistic. If it's all about realism, I'm not sure. Certainly on on the latter, yes, we can probably hurt Liverpool. Uh, I think Richarlison and Carvalho can cause any defence problems on their day. Um, unfortunately for us, Liverpool is probably one of the best. At, well, it is one of the best uh, in in Europe at the moment. So that's that's. Um, Going to require those two to be absolutely on it on Sunday evening. Um,
1: that's a cause just... for optimism, though, isn't it? Uh, I think that that's a cause for optimism. I know Liverpool are very good defensively, but the the strongest compartment in the Everton team is that it, it's the two up front. They link really well, and I think they give any defence headache. I mean, I, I look back to the five two earlier in the season, and <laughs> not one that you want to remember that much. But Everton carved out chance after chance against Liverpool in what was a very open game. Richarlison obviously scored. I still think Calvert-Lewin should have been awarded a penalty um, when Van Dijk flattered him from behind. That's a penalty for me. And I think, given that it was cynical and it was from behind, you probably have to send Van Dijk off. That's a 2-1. Everton carved up numerous other chances.
0: It was Mike Dean, so it's fine. We're not going to see repeat (laughs) that. Oh, we've got the same referee.
1: Well, it's good, isn't it? Because we've got Mike Dean as referee, and the guy that showed kind of what I would consider to be Real disrespect to Carlo Ancelotti after the Manchester United game. Chris Kavanagh on on VAR, so nothing could go wrong there. <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing could go wrong there. It's um yeah, it's, it, it it it's mad, isn't it? It's it, it's mad. But what I would say say um if we take one thing from that league game at Anfield, it's that Everton can cause live this Liverpool defense problems yes. even with Virgil Van Dijk and whoever else they want to. Um, alongside him. Everton can do that. Everton. I mean, even late in the game, uh, at Anfield, when the when the points had already been sealed and Silva's fate had probably been sealed. Moise Keane goes through one on one and should score. puts puts it just wide. I've I've rarely seen a Liverpool side look that vulnerable, um, and certainly <laughs> that vulnerable against an Everton team. So th- there are lots of different problems here, but I think the one thing we do have to be confident about is that. You've got two very good young centre-forwards up there who no Premier League defence would really want to play. At this moment in time, I think they're going to be an absolute nuisance for the opposition, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. Um, And, of course, Richarlison, it's possible if they want to go... A little bit more solid in midfield, and one a, a fifth man in there. They might might put Richarlison on the right wing, I guess, and look to hit on the counter. So there, there there are options. There are some options, even with the injury crisis, and there are some very good players at the top end of the pitch. So, I'm 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 going for small mercies here. They're, they're the two I've come up with after you after you kind of right rightfully mentioned them. I
0: like you know I I sort of a little bit infused by it, some of those. <laughs> you know I think the idea of. It's difficult, isn't it? Because on one hand, we've just spoken about why you wouldn't want to break up a partnership like Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison when it's one of your main offensive weapons. It is your your main offensive weapon. But then I could see what the benefit of playing Richarlison off the right um, at at Goodison on Sunday, I really could. Um, And you still Mm -hmm. have them both on the pitch. Just you've got an extra man in the sort of middle when we haven't got the ball and he, he is really. I mean, look, you don't want Michalakson there to track back and tackle. That's not shouldn't be what he's there for. But even some of the best attacking players do that. And and, and when he does that, he, he's certainly got the fitness in normal times to do that and be an asset defensively. I think. Um,
1: well, he has. He has. You look at his stats. He's he's. I mean, he's right up there in terms of in in the Premier League for forwards. He's right up there in terms of tackles, interceptions, all that kind of stuff. He does it better than just about anybody. So if, you, if you're if you asking one of those two to, to sit in, it's going to be Richarlison over over Dominic. Just allow Dominic to, to stay on the, the the shoulder of the final defender, look to win the ball aerially and, um, and create a problem in behind. He, he needs to be the penalty box poacher, doesn't he? You allow Richarlison your best attacker, you just
0: allow him to kind of effectively wander wherever and do his job. Harry sponsors Glad Tidings, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary fellas who were sick and tired of own-price razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave and... um, We've, we've used these, we, and I can actually yeah. genuinely endorse that. It is a, a, a clean shave, and usually my, the skin on my neck is absolutely rife for <laughs> cut, cutting up. It yeah. doesn't matter what razor I use, I always end up cutting myself when I'm shaving, and so far, I'll touch wood with, with Harry's, it does feel really nice and smooth.
1: Yeah, it's it's been good, and I say this as a person that struggles to grow much of a beard. I did um, I did wait a few <laughs> extra days before having, usually using an electric shaver, as I'm sure our, our listeners will be fascinated to know. But um, I usually use that, and I, I waited a few extra days. Uh, had a had a hairy shave. It was nice. I enjoyed the um, the shaving cream as well. The uh, yeah. nice aloe vera scent to it, so I uh, yeah I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. actually. It was, I, don't, I don't know why I just I kind of felt kind of quite decadent having a, uh, having a nice leisurely shave instead of using an electric one and kind of cutting my face up. So it was, uh, quite right. it, was
0: it was good. It was good. It's nice. I, I, I recommend quite right. Good to hear that you're keeping standards up. Um, well, anyway, look as a listener of this podcast, you, you too can have a nice aloe vera. <laughs> now, you can start shaving with Harry's today uh, and claiming your trial set. It's only three pound ninety five you can support our podcast and get that set delivered to you, including the razor handle, five-blade cartridge, uh, that infamous shave gel with the aloe vera, uh, as Paddy has just described so wonderfully, and a travel blade cover as well. Um, Just go to harrys.com forward slash EvertonPod. That's harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com forward slash EvertonPod. And um, get your starter kit now. So, Pad, just wanted to ask you a little bit about the uh, piece that people who are who already subscribers will have seen. If you're not a subscriber, but you might have seen Paddy and I tweeting about it earlier in the week. And it's um, it's interesting because, obviously, since we've both joined the Athletic, we've become further aware of, of Everton's reach and growing profile in the US. Uh, and hi to anyone who's listening from from the States. And the affiliate scheme that they're, they're trying to grow at the moment was something I, I genuinely didn't know about. So it was one of those pieces where it, 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 I felt when I was reading reading that piece you've done, I learned something, I took something away, and it, it made me think more positively about the efforts and the long-term planning for trying to grow everything brand in the US and North North America and beyond. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah, so I, I think the first thing to say on this is that the, the Academy affiliate program as it is, um, They've they've got three clubs signed up, two in the US. I think one's in Florida, the other one's in Columbus, Ohio, and another one in Western Australia. And the aim is very much, first of all, to create additional commercial revenues, I so clubs, professional clubs, grassroots organisations, anybody that wants wants it can can pay to have the expertise of Everton Academy staff, giving them kind of coaching programs, manuals, um, staff and players can come over to Finch Farm when it's obviously safe to do so and vice versa. Everton coaches will go over to those places and and deliver um, coaching uh, programs as well. It delivers commercial revenue and that's obviously something that they've looked to grow um, substantially over the last couple of years. That has definitely, in my opinion, started to accelerate recently after denise barrett baxendale the ceo's review of where we're at commercially we've we've seen obviously we've seen the kazoo deal for the um they'll be the new main partner um, sponsoring the first team shirts training wear on the 23 side we've seen the affiliate program which we're talking about now and also obviously the new deal with hummel which is being packaged as a as a club record deal and a record amount for hummel too so i think we're starting to to make progress in those areas um and on the affiliate program you get that commercial revenue but you also i think it's part of a wider strategy when i asked about when i asked people about this and i was saying well how how important is this in the here and now to Everton's finances? I yeah. said, so, well, it's well, it is important. Every everything helps, but um, what we're trying to do actually is grow the club's image and brand in target market So it's it's part of an overall expansion plan, and you've you've got the US as as is obviously a really important market for for Everton. Um, for any f- football club for that matter um looking to grow uh Australia there's a team in Australia now already um who i believe with the trial um club for this and you also have asia as well so there are there are a couple of target markets and they'll they'll i'm, I'm sure they will look to expand that in due course it's it's only early stages but everton've have, have signed those deals and they their aim basically is to just get the everton image out there to influence as many young kids growing up who can support the club as possible who might one day develop a real affinity and affiliation there needs to be a presence in order to do that and and sometimes you speak to people and you ask well how accessible is an Everton shirt in let's say New York City or or Texas or wherever it may be and sometimes it hasn't over the years hasn't always been particularly simple and and maybe we haven't always capitalized on some of the u.s internationals we've had some of the australian like if you think of tim kale but to a much lesser extent lucas neal um asian stars um as well so no yeah um, yeah and, and uh, li tai and Wai feng and 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 people of that ilk um so over the years i think there have been opportunities Stephen pinar in in south africa i think what this aims to do now is to get I think it's as it was described to me, feet on the ground in those territories and to influence things that way. At the moment, people have an affinity. We, we know there is affinity to Everton in, in, in some of those places, in some of those communities. But it's also the case, I lived in Thailand, for example. For I, I lived and travelled and worked in Thailand for a while. And I, I remember that as, it was the year Leicester City won the league. I didn't see a single Leicester City shirt for probably two-thirds of the season. <laughs> and people like to associate with success. So yeah. as soon as it looked like Leicester was starting to win the league, the Leicester City shirt came out in force. And particularly so because they have tie ownership and they have king power on the front of the shirt. Yeah. At the time, Everton had Chang and we're just moving to Sport Pessa, by the way. Um, so it's a, it's a process. It's going to be a long process. The, the aim, as it was kind of relayed to me, is to become the go-to club for U.S. supporters, new supporters of of the Premier League in the U.S. and it's an admirable blame. It's it's one that they should be targeting, but it's it's going to take time. This is just the start of that process, um, and I believe, um, even since the the three clubs who, uh, were originally signed up, there's been more interest, and I think Everton mm. are expecting more announcements in in the relatively near future. Um, over this so I I think it's a positive step I I really really do
0: yes on one hand you can always say that the only way really to guarantee that you you guarantee you grow your brand as a football club globally is by being in the Champions League and being successful but if that's not by any means a guarantee and it hasn't been for us for for for, for some time then you've got you can't just uh, give in you know, you've got to say that yes, there are already links there. Yes, there's a profile. Yes, we've had some notable American players, Australian players, so on and so forth from players from Asia. So let's try and build on it and do everything that we can and try and um, and try and carry that forward. So do check that out; it's on the site. So too will be a couple of pieces ahead of the derby on Sunday. Paddy and myself, as we sort of dig deeper into how we think um, Carlo Ancelotti might approach such a massive game and. Um, you'll have probably seen as well a piece from us today. If you haven't, it's about what Goodison will be like and what even is Goodison without the fans. Big question there. Um, My thanks to Paddy and all of you who continue to support this podcast. Please do remember to hit subscribe so that you'll never miss a show. You'll know when we've dropped a new one. And we'll see you as ever next week.